This is a show by all podcast. Episode 43, Pascal Siakam episode, I believe he's number 43. Can I get a confirmation? Do you know off the top of your head, DK? Yep, Spicy P43. All right, this is a Pascal Siakam episode. Yeah, it's just me and DK here again today. Obviously, you hear my voice on the intro, you know Ty's absent. So, DK, how you doing, brother? Doing well. I guess we're going to have to just try to keep it on the rails today. Like well, like we always say, our glue guy's gone, our host is gone, and me and Stu kind of look each other, at each other before the uh, countdown starts and goes, well, what the fuck do we say? <laughs> how, do we, how, do we, how do we bring this in? Like, this is, uh, this is going to be new to both of us, but at the same point, we're rolling. We got lots to talk about. We're back. We said we were going to be back, and now we're back. So let's go a little fucking pat on the back for the boys for sticking to their word for the first time in a couple in a couple episodes with uh, with Bucks on Nucks. Of course, we got the the two man rotation going now. We lost one temporarily, I guess. Uh, Ty Ty's pulling an Alec Manoa, if you will. Um, <laughs> he's not pitching in AAA. We don't really know where he is, but uh, he's out there somewhere, and uh, we'll see if he comes back eventually. I'm just kidding, yeah. but uh, <laughs> that's what I need to throw in a Blue Jays reference. It's been a while here, so we'll talk about Blue Jays later in the show. Uh, DK obviously had a pretty brutal fucking Dalton Varsho take. I think our last regular episode was like pretty much the start of the MLB season, so we kind of took the season off in a way, and now it makes for like kind of a cool comeback in the sense that we can think about our predictions and our hopefulness of the start of the season and like look back on it now because now we're pretty much wrapped up. Um, but let's start with UFC. Nothing as far as fight nights really in the next couple of weeks. Like obviously they're there, but nothing really excites me too much. I don't know if I'm going to be watching too heavily. Um, if I'm not doing anything on a Saturday night, might pull up uh, an illegal stream. <laughs> don't tell the, don't tell Dana White. Uh, but 294 is upcoming, and that is a very exciting card. Obviously, um, it's the rematch between Islam and Charles Oliveira. Start with that one, DK. Uh, obviously, watching that the first time, Islam kind of had his way. So do you think Charles kind of has an avenue for victory here? What's what's the deal? Well, I think, I think if anything, Charles did deserve the uh, the rematch of this fight eventually, regardless, right? So I I don't hate that. I don't hate the co-main event, the Costa versus Chimaev. Outside of that, this is a pretty pretty thin card to be a pay per view. Um, I do think those last two fights are bangers. And here's where you know I've I've been told online maybe once or twice that maybe I'm a little bit of a casual. Um, I've seen that in a couple comments. Uh, but at the same point, I don't know. In my opinion, to to look down the card and see especially on the main card, see only one other outside of the main event, and the co-main event, there's only one ranked fighter that's fighting outside of those two. That's kind of a weird pay-per-view situation. It's not going to be something that uh, I'm going to tune into until about 11, 15, 11, 30. And I will definitely not be paying for a pay-per-view like that. There will be illegal streams up all over the Kelly household. Um, don't tell Dana that's fucking federal prison, as he would say. <laughs> and I'm not, uh, I'm not overly excited for it, but at the same point, what do you got on that card? I mean, if I'm being totally honest, if I clip that and put that up uh, tomorrow, I think you might get roasted here. 
I think it, most people find this to be uh, a pretty exciting card. Obviously, um, Chimaev is like a, a media darling for the UFC right now. The return of Hamzad is kind of like a big deal. And it's not even the main event. Obviously, Islam in, in, is always a big draw as well as Oliveira. So, uh, yeah, dude, 294 is uh, is a banger in my books. But uh, DK the casual over here, um, <laughs> maybe not so much for him. But Chemayev Costa, what do you think about that? They had that run-in in the, uh, in the UFC performance, like the Apex, not too long ago, right? Like if just before one of uh, Chemayev's last fights against Holland where he missed weight and looked like an absolute bum uh, for doing so. I think they had a run-in, so it's good to see that. Paulo Costa, to me, in my opinion, guy who looks like he, could, he has every tool, in the, like, every tool that you could possibly want in a UFC fighter and just doesn't seem to to win in big fights, I guess. He kind of reminds me of like Yoel Romero a little bit in that sense. Um, and Tremayev, he is what he is. People love him. Um, do you still love him the same when he shows up eight pounds overweight like he didn't even try uh, for the for his last fight? Maybe not. He's got a little bit to prove. He's got to have a good comeback here. But against Paul Costa, in my opinion, if, if this guy's this dominant, he should go in there and, and ragdoll Costa around a little bit. Kind of the talking point around this fight seems to be that, like, obviously, Ch- Chimaev's moving up, and he, he's going from ragdolling the 170s in welterweight to kind of fighting one of the bigger heavy, or bigger uh, middleweights in the division. Uh, Paulo Costa looks fucking jacked, man. So a lot of guys are saying, I don't know, Chimaev might not be able to throw him around. Like, he's not going to be picking guys up and bring carrying them over to Dana White on the cage and telling them, I kill everybody, you know? So uh, no chance he's doing that to... Paulo Costa, but I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to imagine Hamzat losing for me, even at 185. Well, it's, yeah, it's that. It's that wrestling, right? Like, it, it, like the part of uh, the reason as to why you can ragdoll guys is is a big part of it is like technique based, right? Like, it's not just the full power, it's the full strength. Is he knows exactly what to do at what time, how to get you up and put you on your head. And uh, I, I don't know. I've always, I've never really been like. Like, even when Khabib was fighting, like, I get it. And same with GSP late in his career kind of thing. Like, I get it. They're dominant, whatever. They're not necessarily fun to watch if you're a casual like me. Like, I I liked how Khabib in his fight with Connor, he knew that he could stand up and he hit him with that overhand right at one point. Like, that was great. But I just don't think going up a weight class, is Chimaev going to do that? No, I think he's going to duck his head and go for double leg instantly and just, I don't know, try to grind it out on, on Costa here and... and I don't know. I hope it's different, but yeah, it's, it's, I'm not, I've never been the biggest fan of Chimaev to begin with. So like I said, that's a casual take right there, but I've never been the biggest fan of Chimaev to begin with. Costa reminds me of Yoel Romero, who just doesn't seem to win any big fight in any big moment. So it gets kind of, it gets kind of murky there for me in terms of if I'm going to watch it or not. You say you don't find Chimaev entertaining. I just, I just don't find his style of fighting very entertaining. No, I mean, especially when, when you realize like, well, you got to think like he was he was way bigger than anybody else that he's fought and is a wrestler. So, yeah, but of course, rest- he's going to have the weight advantage. The wrestling style isn't something you see every day. Like he kind of floats over guys and it's pretty impressive to watch. Like he, I've never seen wrestling well, like this. Nobody his. thought about that. Nobody thought about that about Daniel Cormier who was an Olympic wrestler. Nobody was ever like, "Hey, look how look how great he is." And meanwhile, he was a champion. The only guys he's lost to no, was I'm not John saying- Jones. I'm not saying that fucking Daniel Cormier is bad or Chimaev's better or anything. I'm just saying the style is interesting for me to watch. Like he's so like his transitions are so like smooth. Like when he like when he ragdolled fucking Kevin Holland like ten seconds in, he was already like spinning over the dude and shit. He was like doing like uh fucking 
going from like 69 to missionary and like, uh, and back again, uh, like about 13 times in, in, in 10 seconds. So that was like, uh, pretty crazy to watch for me. Yeah. See, and that's what I'm saying. It's just in the past. Like Daniel Cormier was like that with wrestling where he'd pick guys up, he'd slam them. He'd go yeah, but crazy, he's a big crazy guy. Trans- it's more of like a, it's a, it's a big guy wrestling versus like athletic wrestling to me. Well, 185 and 205 is only one weight class away, right? That's so fair, so Chimaev is a bigger guy. And then Damian Maya was the same thing, 170-pounder who was just great at jiu-jitsu. GSP was the same thing. And like people didn't like watching Damian Maya. People didn't love watching DC. You know, people even like like found Khabib boring. So like Chimaev to me is just there's, there's no there's not much difference in in his style versus their styles either. And they were all greats, don't get me wrong. They were greats, so they won a lot of fights, but is it the most entertaining style of fighting? Probably not, in my opinion, but... Oh, man. Another DK hot take. Hey, man, I might leave <laughs> this one up to the internet fucking gang again. Well, okay, okay, then I'll ask the internet. Would you rather watch a Hamzat Chemaev fight or a Justin Gaethje fight? Hamzat Chemaev, inter- for sure. Oh, my God. Which one's more entertaining is Justin Gaethje all day, every day. Don't blink. Someone's fucking going down, whether it's me or him. That's way more exciting to watch than a Hamzat Chemaev fight. Remember when we talked to Kyle last week, he kind of explained like Alcaraz in a way, uh, this is kind of like a weird tennis analogy, but he does things that nobody else thinks of doing. So when you watch him, you might see something that you've never seen before. Chemaev in MMA kind of has that effect on me, I guess. I don't know. It seems like I'm not the only one, but um, between us two, I am. So uh, but, <laughs> I don't know. He just has like something that he's got that uh, it factor, you know, but like Justin Gaethje, obviously great boxer, great striker, but, and that's always fun to watch, but it's like, I don't know. So there's something about the, it's not normal wrestling. It's not like the could be pressure wrestling, pin you up against the cage until you can get a judo throw. You know what I mean? It's just straight double leg, straight single, or, or, or actually, you know what? I seen him do some like pretty, uh, crazy judo stuff too, but it's, it, it's more like, it just seems to have his way. Like there's not, I never seen anyone that like had his, had his way with people like Chimaev has, um, we'll move on though. Save you from the internet crowd. UFC 295 <laughs> is obviously Jones Stipe. Um, I think that's November 11th. Uh, we'll skip that one for now until we get closer. UFC 296 is December 16th. Edwards versus Covington. Uh, we'll also skip that like main event and some of those fights. But there is a couple things on this card I want to talk about because they were just recently announced. That's Patty. First of all, Patty Pimblett um, versus Tony Ferguson. What do you got? I think this is the prime example of you take a uh, a young guy who is going to make you a lot of money if he can keep winning, and you you feed him a guy who is an absolute tomato can who can't fight anymore and should have probably retired. Dana came out a couple fights ago and said that he thinks Tony should shut it down. Well, now all of a sudden go and fight against Patty Pimblett. Like I wonder why that is. It's because they want to say Patty Pimblett beat Tony Ferguson, who is one of the greatest lightweights that has ever fought. Like in lightweight, he's one of the greatest ones that have ever fought there. And Patty Pimblett beat him. Well, yeah, but Patty, they, they won't say that Patty Pimblett beat him when the guy was fucking 100 and had lost seven fights in a row. So I just think it's a little bit of a, a of a gift for Patty. But if Patty loses this fight, man, if Patty loses against Tony Ferguson, that is a story. That's a real story. That's a career ender at this point. Okay. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Career, he, I mean, he is pretty young, right? But I just meant of like a, a hype like, ender. They're yeah, not for push sure. Him. For sure. Yeah, they're, yeah. Yep. It's raps. It's like, uh, it almost seems like for for the UFC fan that does actually follow the sport, not the casuals, because obviously they see Tony Ferguson and they think, oh, Patty's a great fighter, beat Tony Ferguson. 
Um, however, for the guys that follow the sport, um, it seems like this is a lose-lose situation for Patty. So it's just, I don't know. It was a weird fight to me um, a little bit. Like, obviously, Tony's on a six-fight six losing streak. Like, if he loses, if, if Patty loses to Tony, it's like, dude, you just lost to a guy in a six-fight losing skid, creeping up there in age, obviously. fall. It's, the skills are kind of slipping. If he, lo- if he loses, yeah. 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 It's a lose-lose situation at the end of the day. If he wins, well, it's thing- like, what does that mean? If he loses, it's like, fuck, buddy. Like, you got to change something. And it's like the first the first step up in competition Patty faced, like arguably most, a lot of people say he lost that fight, including myself. Oh, he 100%. <laughs> in my opinion, he's coming off a loss. He's coming yeah. off a loss, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, they, it was it was obvious. Like, I remember people were pissed about the O'Malley-Peter Yawn decision and being like oh like that was bad well then when patty pimblett's decision came through it was like okay maybe the o'malley <laughs> was like a couple so weeks bad, later that too. was atrocious yeah <laughs> it was like they're so close to each other it's like no that is a robbery patty pimblett didn't win any aspect of that fight i think that was one of the worst judged scorecards i've ever seen in my life and it was like in my opinion he's coming off a loss here so if you're coming i get it's a win but if you're coming off a loss where people actually think that you did lose and you got lucky and then you lose to Tony Ferguson, it's bye-bye every fucking sponsorship deal that you've signed to this point because it's just no who's going to want to see you fight? Who do you go where do you go from there? Yeah, man. No doubt. He he's that he's got to make a fucking statement here. He's got to finish yep. him, I think. If you go 100%. to decision and it's like a it's like a close fight against Tony Ferguson, I think the hype's dead on Patty to be honest, which is a shame because he is he is so good on on the mic, right? Yeah, he's yeah, he's great on the mic. He's entertaining to listen to. But then when he gets in the cage, it was instantly, in my opinion, like for me, one of the first fights when he watched me, like, I don't think this guy's that good. <laughs> like, yeah. I remember he got cracked and that was like his first quote. He got cracked right off the hop, having his chin up and was getting beaten up a little bit. And then Bisping was like, he almost got knocked out and scousers don't get knocked out, mate. Like it was like, well, he almost fucking did. <laughs> like, your chin was up there right off the hop against Joe Blow. Like, I, I don't know, Patty, he's entertaining. You want to hear him talk, but... It's like the McGregor thing now, right? McGregor, you want to hear him talk. He went on a great fucking streak. Now the guy hasn't won since like 2019. People are kind of like, okay, like we're somewhat out on McGregor here. Like, Yeah, but M- McGregor was a champion at one point. And he was the first guy to kind of do it with that playbook. So it's like, it's... Patty doesn't have that, Exactly. Right? Like that's where it's... So like, it's yeah. It's like, and, and the last fight, I guess one of the big... Or to me, it was kind of like, dude, like everyone here... Everyone that watched that fight thinks you lost that fight, and you went in the post post fight press conference saying that there's you totally won that fight, and there's no chance that you lost yeah. that fight. Which like, you, that's just uh, you you got to be honest at some point, you know what I mean? So I don't know if he's just oh, delusional, even with yourself. Yeah, literally, you got to at least be honest with your yeah. fucking self. Like, yeah, god damn, it was either delusion <laughs> or he's like trying to. It's part of the character, maybe, to just always claim that he won. You know. Um, yeah. Further down that list is, well, actually this is kind of funny to me, but I believe, let me make sure just real quick before I say it, it is Tony Ferguson is Tony Ferguson. Patty is later in the night. One fight later, if both fights happen, then Ian Gary versus Vincente Luque. Um, I don't know how much you really follow Ian Gary and stuff like that, but he's kind of trying to make himself a villain. He's, he's, he's going with the McGregor playbook, um, but it's making him out to look a little bit cringy. Um, can't lie. Vincent, and he's below 
Tony Ferguson, Patty Pimblin on that card. And he said in the Sean O'Malley card that he is the reason people are paying for this pay-per-view. Um, so clearly that is just um, incredibly untrue. Um, do you have any thoughts on this one? No, it's it's one of those things where, if, especially if you're an, you're an Irish guy like Ian Gary, the playbook is already made for you. You know what you need to do. But the, the thing is, same thing as Patty, same thing as Ian Gary, same thing as the next bloke who tries this. I think that's a British term, not an Irish term. But the next guy who tries this, it's like you're going to have to get some success before you start talking shit like McGregor or it just looks cringy. To say on the O'Malley card that you're the reason why people buy this pay-per-view when O'Malley is is superstar arguably i just say arguably the ufc cash cow right now like he's especially now that he holds a belt like he's probably up there with the two or three guys that bring in the most money for the ufc i'd say sean o'malley when he's on a pay-per-view probably yep yeah i'm not saying he is decisively but probably one of the first like the top two or three guys that that bring in money when he's on a pay-per-view um i i just you can't be saying like you got like i said like there's part of it where with mcgregor where he at least had the self-awareness like even when he was being like his his himself and he was chirping everybody and yelling at people whatever there was still the, there's there was still that self awareness there of like you know it was it didn't come across as cringy it was natural like you know what i'm saying he said funny things but you can't be conor mcgregor if you're not conor mcgregor so people need to stop trying to be fucking conor mcgregor and just be who they are no doubt i i, I forgive me cuz i'm about to go on a bit of a rant here but Ian Gary is setting himself up for failure, all right? There's one guy, if not more, behind him in his own division that I think steamrolls him and humiliates him if they meet. His name is Mike Malott. When we first heard about him on this show, he would just fresh off a UF or a Dana White Contender Series victory, all right? so And we got right behind him right from the jump simply because he was Canadian. However, after watching him, multiple fights now it, it, it's because you, you quickly realize that this guy actually is elite and has potential to do some damage in this division and climb the ranks fast um and ian gary is probably the one guy in this division that i just can't stand um it seems to me like obviously he's going with the mcgregor playbook but the, the problem with doing that is if you're copying someone else's playbook as soon as you lose like you're done you know what i mean like the reason McGregor is still big and no and nobody's just written him off after talking all that shit and losing so many fights is because he was the first guy to do it and he was a champion. Like, let's not get that wrong. But Ian Gary going with the McGregor playbook this early, um, trying to kind of boost his boost his sales um, and be a star this early, you're kind of setting yourself up for a humiliation because if you lose, which you will, to Mike Malott, um, if not before that, um, you are kind of nobody's taking you seriously once you lose, especially if you're copying someone else's playbook. That's all I really have to say. Um, Malat, I am. We're obviously biased Canadians here, but I don't know if you watched uh, the last couple fights. But uh, like, what is it? Three, three first round finishes, I think, in the UFC now. Um, only one made it past the first round, and it was ended pretty quickly in the second. Um, and obviously we've seen the submission, we've seen the knockout. He can finish you in multiple ways. Um, the jujitsu is, uh, disgusting. Uh, the boxing is very good and the distance control is one of the things that I feel is like incredibly underrated with him. Like, it just seems like he always 
has a level head and knows where he's at and knows where he needs to be and is and fights a really smart fight, um, which kind of goes hand in hand with his like really good skills. Um, beyond that, so dude, if they meet like. I don't even think it's a hot take, but if this goes up on a, as a clip, like people are going to think like I'm insane because a lot of people haven't even heard of Mike Malott. You know what I mean? But yeah, but I think if they fight, like I watched, obviously I've seen Ian Gary fight a bunch too. And I just think Mike's the, Malott's just the superior fighter, man. No, and I, and I, I don't disagree with that either. And, and as a guy or as Canadian guys, you know, one of the things is we haven't had a Canadian guy to get behind in the last I don't know, fucking 10 years, maybe eight, 10 years. We haven't had a Canadian guy to get behind. And Mike Malott seems like he is just pushing to be that guy, which you love to see. He look, he's looking good at, out there in every fight that he has, every step, every step up, he's just passed with flying colors. And you know what? You'd love to see him fight a guy who's talking as much shit as Ian Gary and just watch a Canadian fuck up this Irish dude out there and be like, <laughs> McGregor who McGregor who bitch. Like, let's go. I would love to see it. And, uh, but another thing I'd love is we'd love to have fucking this that man on the pot. We'd love to have Mike Mullot on the pod. So if you if we do end up clipping this and putting it out, give us a shot, Mike. Give us a shot, baby. Exactly, dude. Holy. That would be incredible. Um, lots to ask him, of course. And I actually do think like this sounds super biased, obviously, because we are Canadians. We've been fans of him for a long time. And we jumped on the bandwagon after he won Dana White's contender series. Um he won a contract there and we jumped on the bandwagon immediately only because he was Canadian. Um, but once you see him, once we've seen, now we've seen him fight, what, three or four times and every single one of them has just been incredibly impressive. So, uh, yep. Ian Gary doesn't stand a chance. I'm not saying it's going to be like an absolute, like he's going to sw- sweep the floor situation with Malat and Gary, but, um, it might be a close fight, but I, I don't know unless Gary knocks him down, got gets him wobbling. I just don't see a way uh, he even has a chance realistically. And I don't think Gary's boxing is that far. There's not that big of a gap between Gary's boxing and Malat's boxing, in my opinion. Um, The only thing working against Malat right now is like strength of schedule because he is is like 31, I think. So he's kind of like a late bloomer, it seems. So um, he's got to get some big fights soon um, to get to get up there and an opportunity to fight Ian Gary. But Ian Gary is obviously ahead of him in that ranking. Um, it might, if, if Malat is the first guy to beat Ian Gary, it might mean that Ian Gary has won a belt. So uh, hopefully he loses and we get that fight soon. So let's go to the NFL, DK. Taylor Swift, buddy. Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for doing this, my friend. But obviously it's been the whole newsreel. It's been all over your social media for the past five days. But man, like this is our first pod back. I got, I got to ask you, well, what's the look like for, for, for the NFL like this? Because obviously I, I'm a, dude, I like Taylor Swift. You know what I mean? No, well, no, there's, there's, there's a difference. This is the thing that's, that's shocked me. Uh, uh, there's a massive difference between liking some Taylor Swift songs and being what they call a Swifty. If you're a Swifty, you guys are crazy, like crazy people. Um, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's cool. Don't get me wrong. It's cool. Yeah. Travis Kelsey's got a girlfriend. Great. I, I, it's Taylor Swift. Oh, cool. Like, I think it's being overplayed big time. My favorite meme that I saw was that, uh, on the Eagles, they got Deandre Swift and Kelsey's brother and they took a picture of the back of their jerseys. And someone said, wait, you're telling me these two are fucking. 
and that was the best quote I've seen <laughs> out, of, out, of, out of all of this. Um, you know, you see her sitting there cheering and with uh, his mom in some box in Kansas City, and it's like, ah, great. I really don't give a fuck who Travis Kelsey is dating. I hate that it's all over the internet like that, but this is what I'm saying. The Swifties are fucking nuts. Uh, she's she's going to make Travis Kelsey more mainstream famous, and apparently Travis Kelsey's making Taylor Swift more famous in the NFL world too. So they're not only are they a good couple, is it going to be a power couple like Jay-Z and Beyonce? Fuck no, it never will be. Um, but at the same point, it is what it is, and it's getting a ton of media play right now. <laughs> Calling Swifties crazy is not going to buy you any fucking brownie points with the internet gang. So, uh, you know how much I care about what the internet says. You're you just know, picking I mean- <laughs> fights with everybody, buddy. This is this is insane. <laughs> and Philly, everyone from Philadelphia is still a fucking scumbag. If I'm going to just triple down on everything, I've yeah. thought about this for a year. I've been on that for a year. Swifty fans, if you call yourself a Swifty. Go the fuck home. Take a look in the mirror and figure it out. <laughs> Grow up. Be an adult. Holy. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Maybe I'll save this one. Uh, maybe I won't post this one, man, because <laughs> this crew, man, this is this is not – it's like the mafia, dude. You don't want to fuck with the Swifties, bro. Well, no, it's – yeah, it's when you're when you're dealing with people who aren't right in the head, yeah, it usually doesn't doesn't come out right for me. So, yeah, it's it's it's, it's a little – it's whatever, man. I, if I have to turn my shit on mute, if I have to go after the Swifties and just keep playing this quote, I will. But settle the fuck down. That's all I can say to Swifties. All right, keep me out of this battle, man. But I just can't wait till they break up. If I'm being honest, I can't <laughs> wait till they break up because that's when you know an absolute banger is coming from Taylor Swift. An absolute banger is coming from Taylor Swift when they break up. So I hope this relationship lasts two weeks and then we just get an absolute fire song from Taylor. That's the only time she makes good music anyways is in breakup songs. <laughs> So I'm just praying that these guys break up quick and we get another banger from Taylor because I do I do I don't mind listening and jamming along to some Taylor sad song. There you there you fucking have it, man. I guess, dude. Honestly, I I didn't mind it for like the first uh, day, maybe the day after, but uh, yeah, it's it's like it's getting a little bit. My my girlfriend's for you page went from never seen a lick of sports on that thing ever. And now it's just all football stuff. All of a sudden, she's yeah. sending me fucking hit stick videos that th- she thinks are jokes. It's a wild phenomenon, to say the least. It's like the biggest thing in the world right now. But uh, hopefully for our sake, buddy, uh, it ends soon. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I hope so, too. I'll never have to hear anything about it again. But even just in that meantime, I, my girl was in the house with me, just sent me a text said, boy, shut the hell up. Don't be disrespectful like that again. <laughs> So I told you Swifties are fucking crazy. There's I'm dealing with it already. We haven't even posted a clip and we're dealing with hate already on this pod. Bro. <laughs> and she asked you the So Taylor Swift really put Travis Travis Kelsey on the map. Hey, did she ask you that she one? She did say that. She did say that. And I just I just said, yeah, maybe in mainstream, but Travis Kelsey made her famous in football, right? Like so like there's that. And then she just there was no there's no agreeance in that. So she hasn't played at the Super Bowl. So Travis Kelsey is the only reason why she's big in football now. <laughs> I think uh, so. You took it seriously, is what you're. You didn't immediately identify that one as a as a joke just to piss you off. No, I I, I instantly flipped it on her just to piss her off. That's why. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, every football fan know who fucking Taylor Swift is. Um, but that's the thing. If you're a Swifty and you di- and and a guy like me says anything negative about Taylor Swift, it's game over for a guy like me. You know what I mean? So you instantly got to flip the script and try to make them mad because it's funny watching the Swifties go off. I just did a quick like uh, what, 
and then I and then I pretty much immediately assume that she just watched a TikTok of someone doing exactly that to their boyfriend and decided to try it on me. And I immediately knew that it was probably a joke because that's pretty outrageous. But I don't know, for some, for I guess most of that Swifty crew probably didn't know a thing about Travis Kelsey until now. So Devontae Adams, unhappy in Vegas. DK, what you got on that? Yeah, so uh, I saw a quote uh, after last week. He said, you know, they're just not, they're not taking the steps to build a winning culture there in Vegas. And to that, I say, no fucking shit, Devontae. Like, they never have. My brother showed me this thing, and I wish I had it up um, already. And it was if if football was like an MLB season. So in the last 162 games, how well do you think the Vegas Raiders have done? And everyone would tell you, trash, <laughs> garbage, way under 500. And it is. The last 162 games, they play 16, 17 games a year. They play 17 now, playing 16 games a year forever. So for what, the last 10, 10 years or more, they've been just garbage. Of course, they have a losing atmosphere there. They have a losing culture. They are losers, <laughs> and it's it's not surprising, right? So my thing with Devontae Adam, who's a purebred winner, how the fuck did he think that Derek Carr or Jimmy Garoppolo was going to give him the tools needed to succeed and be a winning team? He would have had more of a chance of winning staying in Green Bay another year and signing there when Aaron Rodgers was there and then just following him to the Jets and then like that kind of thing. I see that he's going to get traded. Um, I assume that he's going to get traded. I've seen six teams that are on the list of that he wants to be traded to or that are in the market for it. I'm going to write some about this on our blog, which I don't know if anybody even knows about that yet. Website's up. I'm going to be writing football blogs all day long, um, different blogs on just random shit. I'm, I'm going to be writing, so make sure you keep an eye out for that because I probably will go full in-depth after this week, especially if Devontae Adams sucks or goes off this week. I, I will definitely be writing a long-form blog about Devontae Adams and the losing culture in Las Vegas. Not a fan of Vegas, eh? So you just pick fights. I feel like like Raiders fans are, are a pretty fucking defensive bunch too, you know what I mean? So, Well, I mean, they're in Vegas. They don't really give a fuck about the Raiders anyways. Maybe when they were in Oakland. Yeah, but they, 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 they follow keep- them over though. And I know like a lot of, dude, Raiders fans are, are pretty diehard, it seems. And Raiders fans would tell you the same thing that I'm saying right now is that they've been garbage for 10 years. They just, they can't seem to find a winning environment. Um, they got first round draft picks, flashing guns, getting arrested, <laughs> and then other first round draft picks running their car into people and, and going to jail for a long time. So even just in general, um, just not, not a good environment down there. John Gruden, racist motherfucker with first round picks, left, right, and center going to jail and being idiots, it's like, yeah, you guys aren't having any type of, of winning atmosphere down there. Their owner's got a weird bowl cut. Um, everything about the Raiders <laughs> just does not scream winning culture. <laughs> Their owner's got a bowl cut. I mean, yeah, that's, that pretty much does it right there, I guess. <laughs> Damian Lillard. There was rumors that Toronto was the front runner to land Damian Lillard. That was pretty much all shot down when eventually, obviously, we've all seen it. He is traded to the Milwaukee Bucks. DK, what are your thoughts on this? And do you think the Raptors were ever really in it? Because there was reports at one point that Lillard said that he would make it messy if the if it ended up being Toronto. Because he did want to go to Miami. I guess Miami was the first choice. And really, he kind of gave the Blazers no leverage. But when you hear, when you hear that as another GM, I guess that includes the Raptors upper management. 
they say, hey, maybe we'll try and swing in there. And it seemed doable for a little bit because you think about the Kawhi situation, another guy where everyone was saying this guy, if, if he, well, actually, I don't know if anybody really saw it coming, but when he ended up on Toronto, it was like, uh, he's not going to show up. Uh, he doesn't want to play in Toronto. And then we ended up winning a championship. Doesn't happen though. Ends up on the Bucks. Got a crazy fucking duo with Damian Lillard and Giannis in Milwaukee. What do you got, DK? Well, so yeah, and, and it was part of it is the fact that I don't think he ever wanted to come to Toronto. I think Toronto could have probably offered a better package than what they ended up getting anyways. Um, but at the same point, I don't think Toronto was good enough where even if they brought Damian Lillard in that it was going to be a championship winning team like the Kawhi situation. Uh, I just think oh, they're yeah. at a different spot now. And then the part of it too, which is what I heard, is that you know Giannis went out in the media last week or the week before and was saying, like, I don't care if I'm in Milwaukee. Uh, I just want to win championships. But winning championships, if it's in Milwaukee, great. I'd love it to be. But if it's not, then fuck it. I'll go somewhere else and win championships. And now all of a sudden, a week later, they got Damian Lillard. So part of that is is you know Giannis kind of holding the teams and the GM's feet to the fire, saying, you better get someone in here that's going to help me win or else I'm not going to be here anymore. And it happens. But I, I think that Milwaukee, Boston, Philadelphia, all those teams were set up better than the Raptors were to get da- uh, to get Damian Lillard and actually become a contender anyways. I, I think it was easy to draw that line to to the Raptors, like you said, because of the Kawhi situation, to think I'd just go out and get Lillard anyways. But I don't know. It's tough. Like I said, even with Damian Lillard, I just don't think they're a championship team. I don't think they're better than Boston. I don't think they would have been even better than Milwaukee in the East alone. And then you look out there with like the Suns. Would they have been better than the Suns? Probably not. Like, would they have been better than the Nuggets? Probably not, even with Dame on that roster, especially if you have to take away, like, an OG or a Scotty Barnes or a, you know, Pascal. Like, you got to take away any of those guys to get Dame. You're not near as good as any of those teams anyways. So I just found it a little weird. It leaves the Raptors fans like myself in a thing of, like, well, where are we? What are we? Yeah. Like, what's the goal? Yeah, that's kind of the big thing. It seems like there's a lack of direction, but... I don't know, like, I probably would have been a fan of the trade because obviously anything, like, anything big and flashy in Toronto, I'm a fan of, realistically. Yes. However, I just compared those two moves or the possible move of Lillard to the Kawhi move just to say, like, do you think it would have worked out in the end um, considering that it was also reported that Kawhi didn't want to play when he came. But realistically, two entirely different situations. Like, obviously, when we got Kawhi, you're adding maybe the most plug-and-play player in the league at the time to a 56-win team or something. Um, and yeah. this year, you're, what, uh, I'm pretty sure they were almost exactly 500 last year. And you're adding Damian Lillard, um, obviously a superstar, but is he what, what Kawhi was in 2019? I don't no. know. So, no. um, yeah, two entirely different situations. I would have made them a playoff team, I think, obviously. I think it's a pretty good yep, chance of no, that. No, I agree with that. It's still like a decent starting five, but you would have had to keep Siakam. I don't know what like uh, was on the table or, or anything. I don't know if that's kind of gotten leaked now. The Raptors are usually pretty good at keeping stuff locked down. Um, but there's no chance Damian Lillard was playing in Toronto if Siakam wasn't also there. So you got to imagine it was we'd still have two two hitters on the team. You know what I mean? So. Um, yeah, I, I, it just probably doesn't make us a championship contender, I don't imagine. But a lot of people didn't no, think about not, that in 19. A lot of people also thought that we were we, we 
<laughs> weren't being taken serious in 2019 either. Yeah, and, and the thing with that is too, right? Like, uh, you know, you remember like last off season with Kevin Durant saying he's not going back to Brooklyn and whatever else, and I was saying that you should probably trade Scotty. Yeah, in a trade, Kevin Durant, and people fucking lost it on me. But with that being the case, Kevin Durant last year. When we still had Freddie Van Vliet on the team, we would have been able to keep OG and Pascal and and all those guys. That would have made us more of a championship contender than getting Dame Lillard this year, right? Like it would have made more sense to go all in on KD last year than go all in on Dame this year. Uh yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's tough to really say because really, like it was pretty obvious last year what we really needed was a point guard. So Lillard obviously fits the bill kind of better from a positional standpoint but obviously like it's hard to argue against Kevin Durant in any situation right so yeah I don't know um either way I don't think even with Durant last year based on the, the way we performed adding Durant to that team last year I don't even think makes us a championship contender either realistically it was just going into that season there was like a lot of hype around Scotty how is he going to progress and to be honest he didn't really very much so oh dude I got absolutely fucking bludgeoned online for, for that take saying you should trade away Scotty Barnes for yeah. Kevin Durant. Like you don't know what Scotty's going to be and you'd know what Kevin Durant is. And people are like, this guy's the biggest idiot of all time. <laughs> and meanwhile, it turns out it's like Scotty has a bad year and everyone's like, what's wrong with Scotty Barnes? It's like, well, you, that's why you trade for a guy like Kevin Durant for Scotty Barnes because you know exactly what KD brings and you don't know what Scotty's going to be. I'm not saying Scotty can't just be he can't still be great, right? Could just be the sophomore slump thing. Yeah, yeah. But at the same point, if you're going to trade a guy like Scotty, it's going to be for a bona fide stud that you know what's coming to the table every single day, right? And and a guy like KD, a guy like Kawhi, changes your team and makes them way more of a championship team than a than a point guard like Lillard does. Like I find that small forward, like that small forward uh, guy that you could bring into your team is a lot more valuable than a point guard in my opinion, like you just, I, I feel like every year it's like the big men really are the ones that get it done or not the big men, but the wing players are the ones that get it done and not, the, not so much the guard play, right? Like you look at Jokic yeah. last year, he's run it. Giannis runs it. Embiid's a big, like the big guy. Kawhi was the big guy. None of these guys are point guards, right? Like none of them. I mean, Curry, I guess is, is your, is the argument to that. But even then Durant, it came there and he was, he helped them win. It gets the bigger wings that help you win championships. And I just don't think this is the situation for the Raptors to bring Dame Lillard in. Cause I just don't think Dame Lillard brings them a championship single-handedly like Kawhi could. I'd say a winning for you definitely need a front court with a, uh, with a superstar there in there somewhere. You could argue that yep. maybe if you pair Lillard with Siakam, I guess, I don't know, like maybe, maybe it's scary in the playoffs, but we'll never know. We'll never know. Bucks look scary though. I will say Bucks look fucking scary. Yeah, oh yeah. But we say this every yep. year, a big trade and then some like the Nets were like the fucking championship favorite like two years in a row now and <laughs> they just choke every time. So, I don't know, it's hard to say, but the Bucks do look scary and they've done it before so without Lillard. So, we'll see. Um Blue Jays, so like I mentioned at the start at the front of the episode that our last like actual non-interview episode was at the start of the season. We can now kind of look back on on some of the takes. Um, I can't really remember mine. We can go back and and look oh, for next episode. Not, huh? So, like maybe <laughs> yeah. actually the only take we're gonna go and take a look back because it's the only one I remember because it is just incredibly wrong. Looking back, was DK's Varsha's take. I'm fairly certain that you said DK 
you think Varsho has MVP potential this season? And yeah, I thought he's he was hitting yep, about two twenty. <laughs> yep, I thought he had. I thought he was a dark horse uh, for an MVP type uh, type season. I thought just coming off of Arizona and then coming to this offense that it was going to be good, and it just turned out that uh, that was a terrible take. And I've said that all year. That's one of the worst takes I've ever had. The only redeeming take that I had of all that, which I hated to make, was that. Uh, that Manoa was going to take a big step back. I don't know if you remember, he had that picture in preseason of him getting told that he was the opening day starter and he looked like he had just been crushing Big Macs all <laughs> off season. And I said, that's tough that he had the clog, the pitch clock in here now and everything. And he's going to have to deal with this extra weight on top of him. And he was already a big guy. And that kind of maybe saved me a little bit, but that's not even a take that I want to brag about because I don't love the fact that I had to point out that Manoa wasn't going to be good coming off a Cy Young candidate type year. But the Varsho take is one of the worst takes I've ever had. Um, it's up there with, you know, I have two worst baseball takes of all time. One of them was that, and one of them was that Albert Pujols not getting 700, and he turned around <laughs> 35 minutes late, smacked two bombs, and got 700 that night. Those are two horrible baseball takes that I, that I will put my hand up and say those are horrible. That's on me. My fault. But at the same point... I, that's just that's preseason hope, right? There's another, there's another thing of it. We get a trade, and yeah, it's a, for a big name, and I was I was really excited about it, and it just doesn't work out. Yeah, if I'm being entirely honest, that pools clip might be our best ever. Just like for me, personally, just because it was literally like 30 minutes before. I've never cooked up a clip so fast in my life. You can't even understand oh, me. Yeah. Like it was crazy. Ty and I were on Discord, watch that shit live, and we were just dying laughing. <laughs> yeah because I, I said it too i, I, I was like yeah it. watch him hit two tonight watch him tag two tonight and that none of this even matters <laughs> and, then what he and he did and he did right after i turned around and said i just don't think he's going to be playing he said it was day, plus 400 odds that with like 12 yeah. games left yeah. in the season plus 400 yeah. that, he, that he hits two more home runs for 700 and we were both like what the fuck <laughs> oh, i remember trying to like i remember trying to ignore my phone too like just ignore my phone like that next i saw it happen then all of a sudden i'm getting like the like like so-and-so liked your reel and it's like fuck i know what that reel is right now i know what we posted online here that's not good for me (laughs) yeah that's an all-time hood classic uh yeah but varsho dude like what do you think of the trade though in in hindsight because moreno's going kind of crazy down there and 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 turned out to be very good defensively too and a bit of a cannon behind the dish so um moreno hurts to lose when you see him see what he's doing fucking um in, down in arizona and then we also like i guess we thought this was gonna kind of replace the home runs of of tay oscar and then uh maybe lose a little bit of average but we still keep like a pretty potent lineup the lineup has been um pretty dog shit uh compared to the expectations um, this year. And Varsho, Varsho really hasn't been, uh, hasn't helped in that metric. So um, we lost Guriel's production too a little bit. So maybe it's just a new, what do you think? Maybe it's just like a new, new home and he sells in because the one, the one bright spot is he is like what, like 25 um, and he's got uh, about four years of control. So um who knows? He's still like room to improve. He he, he does have that power. Um, his home run production, I think, is is significantly down this year. But you do see that he has that power. So uh, maybe it's something that uh, he he can put together in the next 
couple of years here and then turns into a pretty productive player for the Blue Jays. Um, but yeah, right now it just kind of hurts seeing Moreno and, and Lourdes doing well down in Arizona. Yeah. And, and I mean, I get what you're saying, but Moreno's got a, what, two, 284 average with seven homers and 49 RBIs. He's got 330, 334 at-bats, right? Yeah, but I'll take, I'll take two- that from my catcher than, rather than having Dalton Varsha out there. Plus, plus Moreno um, is probably in like the 95th percentile in most of the defensive metrics for catchers, I think, this year. Yeah, but we also had Alejandro Kirk, who was an all-star the, the season prior, who was hitting better than what... Moreno was just hitting right now so you kind of lean back on that and then you got Danny Jansen who who you know people don't love to say this about Danny Jansen like Danny Jansen is fucking good when he plays I find like yes there's a lot of swing and miss just like everybody but I still like the fact that that Varsho um is his strikeout numbers a little bit up this year yes but he's had 500 at bats he's still got 19 homers for 57 RBI he's got 16 stolen bases like he, I, he and he's been unbelievable. You want to talk about defensive metrics? Varsho has been unbelievably great that in the is field true. as well. So I just, I just honestly, I, I still believe that if you're talking Mourinho, uh for Varsho, like I don't, I don't hate the fact that we gave up Mourinho. It's part of that thing with baseball is like we didn't really know what Mourinho was, and you know what Varsho is. Um, and defensively, they both saved just amount of the same amount of runs, if not Varsho. Like saves more playing the premium position of center field. Uh, and it's then, hard. But, I don't. But, it's hard to say when you're a catcher, dude. Catcher is probably like the the most for straight defensively kind of the most important position. But well, no, I think that's the most important. How many runs position is he defensively? Shortstop, shortstop, center field, then catcher, right? Really? Like, oh yeah. Well, how many? How many? Ground, how many chances does Gabriel Moreno have of making an error? But it's not. Right? It's like, not just like. Uh, it's not just like balls that are, are. Yeah, it's not balls like fielded. It's more like the way you're catching. You could say like you know what I mean. Like good catchers save you runs every night. You know what I mean. So do good fielders, right? Like so do good yeah, fielders. Uh, you what, make the right. Like it was to make the right throw. Once that a, make errors, once a like, series, when you average it out across like uh, across. Uh, Maybe yeah, average it across the year. Like I would say, like once a series, does a does a premium outfielder like that save you? Actually, save you a run? That I'm that just, might even I'm be that to... might even be fucking generous. Like what? I I'm just saying. Like obviously, Dalton Varsho is incredible in the field, and he's going to be our, our center fielder uh, moving forward. Certainly in the next two years, if and then maybe next year, if if Kiermaier doesn't resign, but the plan for him is to play center field. Um, and he's obviously got the talent to do so. And he, and he's fun to watch out there. And yes, he does play incredible defense. Um, it's just losing a catcher and a productive hitting catcher at that kind of hurts. Um, a little bit, you know what I mean? We had, he was like the number, he was a top 10 prospect in baseball for God's sake. You were kind of banking on some growth from Varsho and all you saw was decline. Yeah, and here's the thing with Varsho, right? So Varsho, if you talk about total chances, he's had 173 total chances in left field this season and 142 total chances in uh, center field this season. He's made one total error, and he's got 10 outfield assists. 10 outfield assists. I'd say that I would. I don't know what Mourinho's fielding stats are. I'll try to look them up as quick as possible as I can get them right now. Um, but at the same point, in my opinion, 
there's no way in hell that Mourinho has saved more runs or has more assists in the field than than Dalton Varsho, as well as chances. Like Dalton Varsho's defensive metrics are are part of the reason as to why he is so good at what he does. Right? All it'll take is one great player, one home run or one diving catch to save a game in the outfield from Varsho, and then everyone kind of looks past like the the, the trade. Uh, who won or who lost that thing? So, um, Blue Jays fans are 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 like that, and it's probably probably makes us good fans, I'd say. So, Razor Twins, DK Razor Twins. I mean, that's that's kind of our two options. It's literally our only two options. Um, so, if we do end up holding on to this wild card spot, um, it's going to be Razor Twins. Who do you like better if you're the Blue Jays, DK? It's a tough one. I, I'd have to look at the stats. I should have probably been more prepared for this. I thought we'd handled the Rays pretty well uh, this season, so maybe I should be saying the Rays. But at the same point, at the same point, I love the fact of with no Manoa in the mix, you know, game game three, game four, you throw out Jose Barrios out there, and it's the Jose Barrios fuck you Minnesota Twins game. I kind of love that aspect of it. Um, I think that would be like a great storyline for Jose Barrios to put the Twins away in the wild card. Um, but at the same point, I don't know. I just, I don't have much faith right now. I don't have much faith regardless of who we play. Like, I don't know about you. I think, dude, I like the Rays, which I don't know if that's probably the popular decision, but I feel like we've played the Rays well lately. Um, we've pitched against the Rays pretty fairly well. Um, the Rays are who we end. I mean, we're playing the Yankees right now. I will get a score update, obviously, at the time of the recording. Um, this is Thursday night, so let's take a look. But all right, so six nothing. So that should be a win. Uh, that would be a wild clip if we blow it in the ninth there. But yeah, yeah, it should be a win. So then the Rays are next, and <laughs> those are our final three games of the season. So if it ends up being the Rays, it's going to be. Um, it's going to be, it has the chance to be, what, eight straight games against fucking Tampa Bay? Or no, it'd be yep. it'd be six, right? Because the wild card is a best of two. Yes. yeah. But in right. total, nine three games three. in the last three series, or the last four series, nine, nine games of them are in the Rays, right? That's uh, yep. it's a lot of, it's a lot of baseball against a single team. So I don't know. I feel like we could figure some stuff out. Um, I feel like we played the Rays well recently. And if you look, I don't know um, which pitching I'd rather face. And that's when I think about it deeply, that's where I end up choosing the Rays because Sonny Gray, Pablo Lopez, I mean, right off the bat, like that's a tough, tough matchup in Minnesota. As far as the Rays go, obviously it'd probably start with Tyler Glasnow, but we beat, Tyler Glasnow, um, last series. So, um, I don't know. And they're kind of, they're kind of hurt. Obviously McClanahan's out. That would, that would have changed everything completely. Obviously if McClanahan was healthy, um, Wander Franco, um, is into children. So he's not on the roster anymore. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, they're not as scary as they were in the first month of the season. Right. So I don't know. I like the Rays now. I like the I like the Rays if I'm the Blue Jays. I can't hate on that. I can't hate on that, and I absolutely love that quote right there. That was just, just of all the things that are going down, and Wander Franco's in the children. So, 
That was great. That was great. Yeah, don't condone <laughs> that. All right. Uh, another season starting up for the Toronto Maple Leafs, DK. Um, <laughs> we get to skip Sen's talk, thank God, because Ty is not here. I'm just kidding. But uh, it's Leafs only. Bertuzzi, Domi, Reeves, Klingberg, all offseason ads. Uh, what do you think of the offseason? Uh, and what is what is the expectation for the team going into the 2023-24 season, DK? I want to start this off by saying, once again, I am ready to get hurt again. <laughs> and the, I, I always say it, Leafs are like that toxic ex that you just keep going back to for no apparent reason. And people are like, dude, why are you addicted to just being having your heart ripped out and spit at you? Like, Because it's the goddamn Leafs. And when you go out in the offseason, you get Max Domi, you get Tyler Bertuzzi. I don't really understand the Ryan Reeves signing as much. Um, I just don't think he helps you come playoff time. But at the same point, I think Tyler Bertuzzi and Max Domi do. I think John Klingberg is going to start the year on the first power play over Morgan Riley. I just think give the guy a chance. That's what he's best at is with the puck and making plays and with extra time and on the power play. So I think you give him that extra chance. I kind of like the way the lineup looks going into this year. Goaltending kind of freaks me out a little bit. Samsonov's got to have another good year. And if not, you really got to rely on Joseph Wall or Martin Jones, right? Like, I don't necessarily love that. I liked our defense uh, going into the playoffs last year a lot more than I like it right now. I think losing Luke Shen, as much as people might hate this take, I think that was huge. Like I really liked what Shen brought to the table in the playoffs last year and late in the season after the trade deadline. I think he was a guy that we should have kept around. But uh, outside of that, I, I like the team, man. I like you, you lose Ryan O'Reilly, you put in Tyler Bertuzzi. And like I like bringing in Max Domi. I like bringing in Ryan Reeves for the regular season. I like bringing in John Klingberg. I, I like a lot of the moves that they made. I like a lot of the moves that they made. What about you? Um, I do too. It's clear grit was kind of the target in the offseason, um, aside from Klingberg. But I guess um, Reeves obviously is Reeves. Domi um, and Bertuzzi both provide grit in their own way and obviously offensive guys as well. Um, and that's kind of what we've been asking for. And we, we've gone on this pod and talked about how, how they lack it. But um, the question I will pose is, is grit something that can be acquired or is grit something that's built into the fabric of the team? Does that have to be part of your DNA as your core develops as young players? Well, so, and I think, I think that's a great question and I think you're exactly right. I think it it has to be built into the fabric of the team. Like Ryan Reeves on his own is not going to bring grit to the team, but I do love the fact that with Ryan Reeves sitting on the bench and he's out there and he can bring some grit himself and and change the culture a little bit. Then you add in Tyler Bertuzzi who's going to go out there and he has grit. And then you add Max Domi who's going out there with some grit and some piss and vinegar in his game and whatever else. I think that's when it really starts to build into the fabric of the team where every line has a guy who's right in your face and is gritty and finishes checks and and whatever else. I I think I think Tyler Bertuzzi, Max Domi, Ryan Reeves bring more grit than what the Ryan O'Reilly acquisition did with Endola Chari. Like I, I just I think that they're more of guys that are going to because like Domi and Bertuzzi, don't get me wrong, they they're they're gritty guys and they they play with that piss and vinegar. But and they're that, gonna see the ice that, a lot too, edge. yeah. But they are. They they play a lot. They got a lot of skills. They're going to be playing with those Matthews and Marner and and Nylander and Tavares, like the, and which helps all of a sudden, right? When you know that you got a guy on your wing, like like I always say, I, I think Pertuzzi's a just a, a worse Zach Hyman, but a better Michael Bunting. And I think that's exactly where he's going to be. But he's a he lot is more skilled than Zach Hyman is, I'd say. Yeah, but I, th- I I think Zach Hyman brings a lot more 
to the table like overall than Bertuzzi, but I think Bertuzzi's a lot fucking tougher than Zach Hyman is though. Like, so I think, I think what, what Zach Hyman's better at, like Zach Hyman's a better pigeon than Tyler Bertuzzi, but at the same point, I think Tyler Bertuzzi's better pigeon than Michael Bunting, which is what they've had the last two seasons. Right. So I, I love that acquisition. I love that Domi can play up and down the lineup. Probably. I, I would assume he's going to be on that third line. Maybe you put him in on the second. I just think Matty Knives would be on the second line um, to start the season. And then I think Domi could play up and down second power play. And I just, I really like the way this team kind of looks right now. I think come trade deadline, if you can get another couple, if you can get a big defenseman or another uh, couple big guys, like I, I really like the way we're going here. Yeah. I, I do like the team. Uh, when you, when you kind of zoom out a little bit and look at the total roster and, and the line, the lines um, from a distance, it does seem like we've improved the defense probably um, isn't upgraded as much as you'd like i guess if you're comparing to some of the other teams in the east and stuff um however i do think obviously jake mccabe a full season there i think he's a really solid top four guy uh, morgan obviously what do you think of i'll ask you this but i uh i want to ask about nyes real quick but my take on reeves though uh i don't know how i feel about it because wayne simmons we saw wayne simmons come and that was kind of the 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 target with Wayne Simmons as well as just kind of bring grit and and make teams a little bit more scared of the Leafs you know what I mean so and Reeves kind of does the same thing you could argue probably at a better uh level um because I guess Reeves kind of has that uh notoriety around the league of a guy like uh you don't really fuck with um (laughs) however I think it this has there's an opportunity, like, I don't know. There's a chance this kind of boils over to me. It, it becomes the Reeves show in, in Toronto. You know what I mean? Um, Reeves in a big market kind of scares me a little bit, especially if I'm the fan of a team. What do you think? No, I, I, I don't. And it, But my thing is, I don't think he's going to have much of an impact on the team in general, right? Like, so, like, like my question, I got to ask this question. I thought that's a good, like, good way to think about it is if Ryan Reeves is on the team last year, does Steven Stamkos still go after Matthews in game five of the playoff series there where he was trying to fight him? Yes. Is Ryan Reeves in the lineup in the playoffs though? I don't know. That's what I mean. It's like regardless, even if he is or not, Ryan Reeves is not on the ice in that situation. Steven Stamkos is still going after awesome Matthews in that situation, whether Ryan Reeves is on the team or not on the team. So it's like, does he really help? Like, I, I just don't see it. Like he's no different than Matt Martin. And when we had Matt Martin or Kyle Clifford or Wayne Simmons, or like he, he's no different. That's why I liked what Luke Shen brought to the table last year, because he was fighting left, right and center, but he's also able to play. Yeah. He's playing more highly at one point. He was, he was, he was good. I don't know. I I'm not going to sit here and say I've watched every Ryan Reeves game. So I know how much, how good he is or if he can skate or handle, handle a puck at all. I just know that with him being his role, and they're talking about how much more room that Matthews and Marner are going to have out there. It doesn't make any sense to me because he's not going to be on the ice with those guys. So it's, he's not going to make more room, right? Like I just, I don't see it. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, fuck the big guys were on the ice with Gretzky. It's really just like a thing. Like you, you don't want to do it and then get caught later. I, I feel like, but that's not even really the game anymore. And, and, and even if he does add like a layer of protection for the big boys, it's just, it just, He's a big personality man and he's and he's gonna get fucking he's gonna get fucking tossed around out there like a fucking Greek salad buddy a little bit. Like you know what I mean? Like he's not he's not a very skilled guy, he's not a great skater. Um 
it has the opportunity to turn into something sour here. And uh, I just don't know. Only because we have them for three years. Yeah, exactly. Right. Year, but it's like we got them for two more years after that. It's like, okay, what is the in three years is the, is the guy like Ryan Reeves is he, he's probably going to be exiled from the exactly game. Like a one year con- big tough guy. And like, he's getting paid a lot, yeah. isn't he? What is he getting paid? It's like what, it's like one and a half or something like that. A mil a year Come or some on. shit. Like it's like, it was like three year, five mil or something. So yeah, it's, it was, it was an overpay. I didn't really understand that signing to begin with, but at the same point, you know, maybe, maybe tree living knows something that we don't. Could be man. Could be. Um, all right, let's do something different guys. Bucks on Nux.com is live and ready to browse. If you go to the website at the bottom right of your screen, no matter where you are on the site, there was a microphone, a big yellow microphone button. If you click that, you can call directly into the show. Andrew Bebb from Ottawa is the first to do so for the boys. Please use this feature, especially if you uh, want to ask us a question or want us to talk about something specific. Obviously, it's a it's a good way uh, to interact with us and, and interact with the show. So uh, we're really excited about uh, offering this now as a thing for you guys. We tried it before just through Instagram DMs. Um, wasn't the uh, cleanest operation, but now this goes <laughs> straightly to or straight to our uh, email inbox, and we can stitch it right into the show. And now we can take callers on the show. So. Listener questions, Andrew in Ottawa, let's see what you got. With the upcoming 2023-2024 season about to begin with the NHL, uh, I'm just wondering what your boys' predictions for the Stanley Cup this year. Maybe uh, do a hot take. Mine's that Ottawa's going to be in a wild card position this year. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I mean, Ottawa Ottawa looks pretty, looks pretty good. Looks like an improved team. Um, a lot of the young guys with another year. DK is kind of shaking his head. Um, I mean, I, I'd probably make Ty happy by saying I also think that they uh, they look a little bit dangerous this year and couldn't make it in. Um, you don't think so? DK doesn't think so. But as they f- looked more dangerous last year. You think? And they didn't. And they didn't make it in. Who looks more dangerous? But they're a young team, possible. dude. So they get better every year. And they got Tarasenko now. Um, Debrink it didn't really old. work out there, but. Um, I don't know. Another year, Jake Sanderson kind of with a large, larger role. Yep. I don't know. Ah, they seem kind of lethal to me, and I'm afraid as a Leafs fan just to see what they could be. But there is a chance. Obviously, nothing's really proven, so there is a chance not there. But Andrew, man, like, uh, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't disagree. I don't hate that take at all. Uh, I don't think it's extremely hot. Um, my cut predictions. <sighs> I'd have to say, oh, it's tough, man. Like, oh, I mean, DK had a good one. He did say Vegas as a dark horse uh, for a while last year, so I'll let him pump his tires in a second here. But <laughs> my cup predictions, I'll go one from each conference just to make it like a little bit more reasonable, and they're both going to be hot takes. Um, I'm going to say from the East, I like New Jersey a lot, man. Can't lie, I like New Jersey. If they, if if Vitek Vanacek can prove himself as a starter, or if they can go out and acquire um, a a goalie that can hold down a starting role and, and play and dominate for them, in, in maybe for a stretch in the playoffs, I think they uh, they are a dangerous team and might be the best team in the East uh, under those conditions. From the West, um, I like Dallas. Oh, you motherfucker! <laughs> Was that you? 
Yeah, that was going to be can my agree. You don't have to, yeah, we don't have to yeah. disagree, but I like, yeah, I like Dallas and New Jersey. Those are my, those are my guesses. I mean, like last year, I probably, I think I said, uh, New York, um, the Rangers fandom is kind of falling off for me. I can't lie. Obviously still a huge <laughs> fan of Shesterkin, but like, man, this team looks worse than before. Um, I don't love their depth. And I think unless Lafreniere all of a sudden has like a breakout season, um, I don't think the Rangers are a cup contender uh, anymore, but and I watched them prove me wrong now when I started like losing hope on this team. So yeah, I guess my new team, uh, it's now that I've, now that I put it, put it in stone that these are my predictions, my, my new team I'm rooting for, um, aside from my, aside from my heart, the Leafs, um, is going to be New Jersey. And then at West, it's going to be Dallas. What do you think DK? Well, so I like, I, I personally like Dallas as well. I just, I like the setup they got going there. They got a couple of really good young guys as well as like that, that veteran core with like Ben and Sagan, um, leading the charge out there and Pavelski. Um, they got Jake Ottinger and Net too, which in my opinion, Jake Ottinger is one of the top four, three, four, five, if you really want to go stretching best goalies in the league. And I think he he's a guy that if he gets hot in the uh in the playoffs, he he could take it over. Obviously, Edmonton would be a good pick. Um, there's no reason to say why Vegas couldn't go back to back, realistically. I like I like them. And from the east, you know, I from the east, it's fucking tough. I want to say Florida. From the east, and and I saw that uh, I saw that Vasilevsky's out for a couple months now, right? So with Vasilevsky being gone for a couple months, I just I like the thought of the Florida Panthers kind of coming in and and being the the kings of 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 Florida, and they were good last year. They still got a lot of those same pieces in place. If Paprovsky could play up to his contract, man, he is also when he is on, he is a top goalie in the league. But I agree with you out there in in the West with Dallas. Like, if I had to pick two teams, if I had to if I had to hitch my wagon to two teams, it's going to be the Florida Panthers and the Dallas Stars. My hot take, my hot hot take that I would say, fresh off the press, is that the Buffalo Sabers uh, could go further in the playoffs this year than the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I hate to say that. I just I love Buffalo. I think if you're talking about a team that's poised to make a massive jump in the standings, I think it is Buffalo. I think Detroit's going to be better this year. I think Ottawa's going to be a little bit better this year. But in terms of uh, in the East, a team that's going to make a massive jump uh, ahead is going to be the Buffalo Sabres, and a team that's going to make a massive jump back is going to be the Tampa Bay Lightning. So uh, those that's my hot take in the East, at least. I love your Dallas Stars pick. I'm right with you there. But, uh, yeah, Andrew from Ottawa, there's your hot takes. There's your picks. You'd love to hear it. Man, the, the, the Atlantic's going to be a fun watch this year, I guess. Seems, well, it's seems the hardest division. It's the hardest division for sure. Well, I mean, all the divisions are pretty good. The Metro looks really good, but uh, I just like Ottawa is going to be better. Um, Buffalo, I like your Buffalo take. However, both their goaltenders are young goalies. Um, yep. So I don't know how far that goes, but who knows? But they will be, they will be competitive. At the very least, Tampa's obviously going to be right there somewhere. I think they're falling off a little bit, but they're not going to be a, they're not going to be a basement feeder. I don't think. Uh, no, no, no. Florida. No. Oh, if Vasilevsky gone for two months, it could go it could go south quick for them. You know. Yeah, Florida. We saw what they did in the playoffs. Boston's still Boston, although they lost their two centermen, um, but they're still a deep team, man. And then Toronto, obviously. 
So and Detroit, you 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 seem to think Detroit's gonna have a better year. So yeah, this Atlantic division is is gonna look it's gonna look uh, a little bit jam packed. I feel like if you talk to us around January or so. Well, who who does Ottawa have in who does Ottawa have in net this year? Um, it's a good question. This is why we need Ty on the pot. Let me just check this. Oh, F- Anton Forsberg, Corpusallo. Oh right, yes, they got to Corpusallo. That see that could turn out good for them. Who knows? Corpusallo, I think, yeah. is a solid goaltender. So, yeah, dude, it's gonna be it's gonna be a wild year. It's a hard. It feels like this year is a hard year to make predictions. Does that does it, it seem like- that way? Like you could be you could make a safe pick previously with. Tampa and Colorado, Vegas, or, or even the Rangers um, the past couple of years, the Bruins, obviously. But like this year, it just seems like everything's kind of like shaking up. There's like a couple of retirements, a lot of moves, and then a lot of young teams that got over the horizon last year. And now all of a sudden they're making it. You think maybe if they prove a little bit more, they make a charge for a playoff spot. And it's like, fuck, it's hard to make a prediction realistically. One of my one of my biggest things for this year, in my opinion, is like how much how much stronger I think the East is going to be than the West, like like top to bottom. I think the West has a few teams that are, aren't even close to being close, and I think a lot of the of the Eastern teams right now, like you said, the Detroit's, the Ottawa's, the Buffalo's, teams that have really kind of been bad for the last eight, ten years, like they're they're all poised to make a really big jump. Um, this off season. And, and I, I kind of love it. The more parody in the league, the better, the more people at the dance, the more people fighting to get in, the more entertaining hockey is down the stretch. And that's what you love to see. And I want Ottawa and I want Buffalo to be good because when Toronto, Buffalo, Toronto, Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal, when these guys have that rivalry, there's nothing better than Saturday night hockey where it's, whether it's the battle of the QEW, like, you know what I mean? With Toronto and Buffalo, or if it's the battle of Ontario with Toronto and Montreal or sorry, Toronto and Ottawa or, Toronto Montreal rivalry. Like I want those scenes to be good. So that rivalry is back reinstilled and it just hasn't been that way. I would say the last five or six years. And it's really starting to come in that direction where like, it's really gearing up here. Um, obviously Boston probably going to take a little step back. Kyle B doesn't think so, but Boston will take a step back, but no, I love the way that the, the Eastern conference looks this year. And the West is just kind of, I think the West is going to look pretty similar as to what it did last year. Andrew, my friend, thank you for the question, buddy. I love you, brother. Uh, this episode went longer than we tried to keep it short and we failed. But of first course. episode back, we'll settle in. Um, thank you everyone for listening. Um, I will say bucksonnux.com just before we go. Um, make sure to check that shit out. Um, just for now to make sure to type that into your address bar because it's fresh site, hard to find on Google search. But uh, if you type in bucksonnux.com, you can leave a question um, for us to react to live on the podcast and you can read the blog dk has took taken the initiative got the ball rolling on the blog um and he's a pretty talented writer so if you have justin fields in your fantasy league he's <laughs> probably something interesting for you there and you guys can sympathize together um there's lots of cool interactive features you can comment there's i added a comment section to the blogs and the single episode page so if you love this episode you hate this episode Stu, you stutter too much you fucking can't get your words out dude like learn to speak english you can tell me that under the episode if you go to single episode page and then go to the comment section down below 
So yeah, lots of cool stuff on the website. Please check that out. We're really excited. Um, and I guess that's everything. DK, you got anything, any last words? The first one to comment, DK, you're fat and ugly. I know, all right? Let's just keep those ones to yourself. Let's keep the fucking comments positive on the goddamn page. I take enough bludgeoning online. I don't need it to happen on our own website, too. But check out the blog. Um, appreciate you saying talented writer, Stu. I like to think of myself more as an entry-level deal uh, <laughs> with the uh, with the writer. I'm on a PTO. I got to put out a certain amount of blogs to even just see if I'm okay. And if the uh, if the boss man says you're good to go with them or not, then, then we do that. But appreciate everything. Check out the website and... We're going to keep rolling here, baby. We weren't lying about it. Pay to play. Let's go. If you can't beat... Oh, fuck, dude. I blew it, dude. This is why... (laughs) Clip it! (laughs) If you can't be cool, be careful. Is that that what it is? All right. If you can't be cool, be careful. And if you can't be good, be good at it. Peace.